Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Uh, we are getting ready to roll into the 4th of July, and because of this, we're doing something a little patriotic today. But before we get to that, joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Fuck you, Hutch. You're a real dilettante, man. I'm going to tell you that right now. Starsky and Hutch, 1976. I got a bone to pick with David Soul. He used that F word on TV, man. He tried to tell Hutch, uh, Starsky, that wrestling was, <clears throat> you know. Anyway, oh, man. he said that. Hey, it's me, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Yeah, we're going to celebrate the bicentennial. We're going back to 1976 and the year that was in professional wrestling and all things pop culture, it sounds like, this week. Yeah. <laughs> Tell them what that's from, Jeremy. I mean, you know, obviously, Starsky and Hutch, but... Well, you know... Um... <laughs> You you posted it yesterday, or you forwarded it to me, or something. But there was a um, a clip on Twitter going around of Starsky and Hutch, uh, yeah, and talking about wrestling, which is in 1976, which is appropriate yes. for us this week because it hits all the high points of what we're talking about. It's TV, it's the bicentennial, and it's pro wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he just basically says, you know, you you don't know anything about the uh, no no commitment or knowledge about the real arts that professional wrestling is an art, and and Hutch comes out and says it's and uses the f word. Um, but uh, what's funny about that? That's the year, the summer of '76. I I went from 12 year old, I turned 13. But man, I had an orange 10 speed bike, a Huffy or a Murphy or something, and to me. That was my uh, that was my red uh, Gran Torino there or whatever it was oh, yeah. with the white stripe man that was me I was like pedaling around Ashland uh, peddling newspapers throwing water balloons off of it man it was you know it was just a really cool time uh, for celebration for our country then and um, so yeah uh, I found that clip was just like holy shit I got to send this to Jeremy right away that was, that <laughs> just, was super on point for this yeah it was up. man oh man it was. Um, you know I don't think. Besides, like an episode, maybe about five or ten years ago, I don't think I've actually seen Starsky and Hutch since the seventies. Um, yeah, probably me too. It seems like um, right around the time that movie came out, they did a remake of it. Yeah. Um, they might have been some stuff for them, but I maybe maybe if it was on reruns in the eighties, I don't remember. But um, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe since the seventies uh, on the run throughs, you may see clips here or there on YouTube or whatever. Uh, Huggy Bear, man, who could forget him, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did but, you know, uh, there used to be a toy company called Mego, and Mego held the license for everything. Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, Happy Days, uh -huh. um, all the superheroes, Marvel and DC, but they also made Starsky and Hutch toys, and there was a Huggy Bear doll. Oh, cool. <laughs> and mothers and fathers were buying pimp dolls for the kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. He was uh, well, a CI and a pimp both. You know, he was smooth, man. <laughs> oh, Jerry, move back up here real quickly, yeah, okay? Yeah. Uh, let me read just some, uh, get some school notes out of the way here. Uh, July 17th, Ironton, Ohio, FTC comes back. They got a really big show planned. Going to use all the students. Got people from WWF. Uh, got a special guest I'm not allowed to announce right now. It's going to be showing up. Um, and um, it's at the Rona Theater, man. And it's, it's going to be a really good show. Jillian Hall um, will be there. She's been doing excellent with the students, as always. And uh, uh, 
it's looking real good, man. I'm excited for the show, for the students, and also for the talent coming in. Also, I get to see Shane Douglas. I uh, hadn't seen him for a while. I've talked to him. Uh, oh, and I ran into D'Lo Brown yesterday. Oh, yeah? Didn't know if you saw that picture. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I missed D'Lo made yeah, he worked. Uh, he was in West Virginia for a couple shots, and then he had a uh, booking at the Time Warp. Shout out to Earl and Joe. Um, I'll be at the Time Warp August the seventeenth. No, August the fourteenth. I'll be at the Time Warp in Ashland. It's going to be back to school with Bobby Blaze. We'll be doing something, a bunch of autograph signing and this and that. But yeah, so D'Lo was in town and got to hang out with him for about an hour yesterday. Um, that was cool, and then. Um, August the 7th, I'm in Beckley, West Virginia, uh, in Shane Storm's corner against the legendary Jerry D. King Lawler. And uh, Dennis Condry is involved in that match as an enforcer. So who knows what's going to happen, but that's for ASW. And that's at the uh, Bash in Beckley on um, August the 7th. So again, July 17th at the Rona Theater in Ironton, Ohio. Uh, August 7th in Beckley, West Virginia. August the 14th, my four looks like the seven, but it is the 14th at the Ashland Town Center, at the Time Warp. Um, come down, hang out with Bobby Blaze, back to school with Bobby Blaze. So um, that's that, Jeremy, just getting that out of the way there. Please tell me you and Dennis Condry aren't going to fight. God, I hope not. <laughs> I don't need my ass kicked. <laughs> I'm just there to manage. <laughs> oh, I want to help Shane Storm get over. I'm going to tell him the secret to beating Lawler, and that is, you know, Get it booked that way. <laughs> no, no. Pencil. There you go. The office hold, baby. The pencil. Uh, no, I, I don't know what's going to happen, man. Because when I when I agreed to do it, um, the match to help Shane, uh, which I feel honored to do, and ASW always treats me so good when I'm up that way or down that way, I guess, this time. Um, yeah, I didn't know Condry was going to be a part of it, but apparently he's going to be. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. That's you know my song, I Won't Back Down. You know, Tom Petty there, so That's right. gotta uphold that. We'll just see. We'll just see. Yeah. But um uh, yeah. That's kinda wild. Yeah, I, I might have missed that. I kinda had my hands full yesterday. Um Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh you mm-hmm. know, I'm a busy I'm a busy man, Bobby, you know. I'm I know you are. Run, run a podcast and, uh, and do some artwork and raising a puppy. You know, I'm a busy guy. I know that. And you killed it on notes this week, man. They look great. Yeah, uh, it's not like I was just hanging. Better out my hand rip was in a notebook. <laughs> I wasn't just hanging out on a patio drinking beer or anything all day yesterday. Yeah, I know you're just trying to get ahead in this world, but listen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is important. <laughs> oh, all right. So this week we are talking about the bicentennial. 1976 was the 200th anniversary of the uh, ceremonial official start date of America as a country. Um, mm-hmm. I was a very young man at the time. Uh, Bobby, you were just a bit older than me, so our memories may not be 100% on everything, but we got a lot of stuff to cover. Yes, we do. Um, it's, uh, to me, it's a good time, you know, going from sixth grade into seventh grade, um, getting to go to the junior high school. Uh, my junior high was seventh, eighth, ninth then, and there was two of them in town. And uh, I went to Coles, where all the cool kids went. And uh, man, that's some of the best years of my life. Um, so we got a lot to get into. Of course, um, I know you got a bunch of news stuff written down here. We got movie stuff, TV stuff. Um, I'm try- I went completely. I went back to the way um, when we <clears throat> 
used to do our top tens. Um, I went back to what I did. I just kind of wrote down a bunch of notes from memory. Um, and then I just checked a couple of dates and then I, um, come on, got online and saw all the notes and I was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, I appreciate that very much. Um, I want to say one more thing when I'm telling you thanks, cause you kind of sent this to me as a birthday present. I want to thank my brother, Jim and, uh, Joe and Casey and whoever else was involved in putting together my surprise birthday party. Jeremy, I haven't had a birthday party since I was 40 fucking years old. I was over to the art grappling school on Tuesday night and they uh, put together a damn surprise birthday party for me. I had no clue about it. I'd received a text from someone a week or two before asking about my favorite pies, and I thought that was odd. But when I went back, it was actually from one of my sons. Um, and then, cause I thought it was from Casey. And then uh, someone asked me what I liked with my pizza toppings. And it just kept one little thing after another. I didn't put it together, man. And um, I was there finishing up the camp, and... I saw a big cooler, then I saw a 30-pack come through, then I saw some up another case of beer, and then I saw some pizzas come in, and I told Jill, I said, I think my brother's trying to have me a surprise party. She said, you think? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we just stopped what we were doing, and um, it turned out to be really nice. And um, I usually used to rent the ring uh, and and – have it for a few days on my birthday just so I could be doing something involved in wrestling. I'd let people come over. And, but now I, they weren't really parties. We'd do a little cookout in my yard or, you know, something after after three or four days of, of the seminars or training or whatever I was doing. But hadn't had a party since I was 40, and I was like, damn, man, that was, I smiled. Uh, I'm still smiling. It was a good feeling. Oh, so uh, thank everyone at the Art of Grappling School. Thank everyone at FTC, and uh, thank you, Jim. And uh, also for all the people that sent me birthday wishes on Facebook, my brother put that together as well because, um, you know, I don't have it, but I got a lot of lot of Facebook uh, comments. I appreciate those, and I got some uh, really nice birthday wishes from our listeners that follow me on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. So thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate all that. And, Jeremy, you didn't even fucking send me an In-N-Out burger. That's what I was wanting from you. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't have made it there, Bobby. I know. Yeah. I know. It wouldn't have made it out of my car, more than likely. I heard that. But yeah, sorry to backtrack on that, but yeah, I wanted to put that out there, man. So uh 76, one of the first things come to my mind. I know you got a bunch of new stuff. Let me get this out of the way real quick, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh the Olympics. I'm just gonna that was a I went uh just and we can go back and discuss this, but I went with um uh, the Montreal Olympics in 1976. I'm just putting about three or four names out there because I was such so into it. And of course, Bruce Jenner won a decathlon, and we can come back to that. But I wrote down um, Edwin Moses won the. Uh, he was a hurdler. I remember him. And then of uh, um, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was the most probably the most over boxer that came out that year as that turned pro. He was he was you know won gold. Uh, but uh, Nadia Kamenich, man, a 14-year-old girl from Romania, got all those fucking perfect tens, man. Um, dude, I, I fell in love right there. I'm like, man, I don't know where Romania is at, but I like that look, and I like that girl, you know. And, uh, man, she just um, first ever Olympian, a gold medal, get a perfect 10, and uh, she's had five five gold, overall golds. Uh, she got three goals that year. Uh, 
man, that's just that's just incredible, man. I, I just wanted to bring it up for the Olympics. That was my Olympic memories uh, was was just really good and and um, you know uh, Bruce Jenner was on all the boxes of the Wheaties, but I'll say this. That fucking uh, Nadia Comneach, she could have backflipped through my Wheaties every fucking morning and every night. I'd loved it. <laughs> so that's 76 for me on that summer. So um, I'll throw the ball back to you, man. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I just, I kind of, I try to round up as much of uh, flavor and news story and, yeah, you know, I'd sprinkle wrestling throughout it, but I also want a whole picture of what, what we were doing in 76, you know? Right. Um, so I just wanted to kind of hit some news stories that we can comment on real quick or, sure. or, or just let them go however we want to deal with it. But um, January 14th, 1976, the Lutz family flees 112 Ocean <laughs> Avenue in Amityville, Long Island, New York. Um 28 days after having moved in, and this leads to the book, The Amityville Horror, uh, which is still connected to these, like, The Conjuring movies now. Yes. The thing yep. that cracks me up about this is that everybody has admitted that The Amityville Horror was a bunch of shit. They bought a house they couldn't afford, and they had to get the <laughs> fuck out. And it just so happens that the guys, the, the family that lived there before, their son went fucking batshit and murdered everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's blood in the toilets and coming out of the walls. And, <laughs> oh, no, we're not just trying to get out of our loan. We, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not into all those Conjuring movies, but I went to one of them. It might have been a second one or something, only because it was back when uh, uh, one of my boys and my nephew and my niece were still in school and they wanted to, the girls wanted to go, my nieces did, and I went with my brother and. I sat through it. I just, that shit just freaks me out. So, um, uh, them baby dolls and stuff, just that, uh, Annabelle or whatever, like all that yeah. stuff. I'm not into that stuff, man. But I do remember that movie. Uh, well, that, that story about the Amityville horror. God. Yeah. I remember my parents, yeah. my parents used to go to like a lot of horror and Kung Fu flicks at the drive-in. And I remember, oh, yeah, I remember seeing Amityville horror as a little kid, man. And I remember it just being freaking scary you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i saw it back then whenever whatever year that came out but again it's not something that's not my favorite genre yeah but um, um yeah all right so we're gonna go on to super bowl 10 yeah uh, steelers, i had that in my notes yeah steelers defeat the cowboys 21 to 17 at the orange bowl in miami florida yep steelers Just, huh? <laughs> they yeah they had several they they had several there um in the late seventies, they was they really uh, had some good teams. Yeah, the Iron Curtain, I think Iron Curtain. Terry Bradshaw, quarterback, big mean Joe Green with the uh, Coke commercial. Hey kid, and he turned around and threw him his jersey. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that might have been a couple years after the fact, but you know we're building to that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that's that era. Yeah. Anyway, memory. What you got next year? Because this All is right. uh, something right up your alley. On a geekish cast, you can find him. You can find a professor. If you see, if you ha could see these notes, you know why I call him the professor. But you can follow him at the geekish, geekish cast, and here's why he comes up with this next one. Go ahead. Oh, uh, <laughs> Apple Computers is a company formed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak <laughs> in the year 1976. Yeah, back before anybody even thought there could be a personal computer. <laughs> yeah, computers then were like room sized, I guess. Yeah. How and 
IBM just huge, you know. Yeah, I ran off a ticker yeah. tape and shit. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the uh, National Basketball Association yes. and the American Basketball Association agree on an ABA-NBA merger. Yes, this was important to me, man, because I had been following a guy. You've barely got any little coverage. Kentucky Colonels had a team. Um, but we didn't get much coverage over here in Eastern Kentucky. We got most of the NBA. We didn't get a lot of ABA. And, of course, Indiana had the Pacers and things. But uh, there was a guy playing for the Nets by the name of Dr. J, Julius Irving. And I could not wait for that year because I'd get to see all the guys I'd heard about in the ABA get to play in the NBA. And I automatically became a, uh, a 76er fan, almost a 19er. I automatically became a 76er fan when Dr. J got picked up by the Sixers uh, when they merged. And also um, they kept four teams up there. The Denver Nuggets stayed, uh, Indiana Pacers stayed, uh, or they joined. Um, uh, Leaving out one, I know of, but the other one was uh, one one other one, um, San Antonio uh, Spurs. Uh, so yeah, New York Nets uh, they came, but the Spurs man, um, George Garvin, the Ice Man, the Ice Man cometh as a popular poster in the seventies. Uh, uh, also, I had a Bruce Lee poster as popular seventies that came out, man, in our little weekly reader magazine or something, Rob. Had a I had like Dr. J and Bruce Lee and uh, uh, George Gerwin <laughs> Garving on my wall. That was three of the posts that I had from that year. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, that's cool that they merged. I, I liked it as a basketball fan. Yeah. So absolutely. anyway, keep going. I I'm just throwing your memories yeah, no, as we no, go, no, that's, brother. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's why this stuff's here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I think this one's a big deal because it just you know the space exploration was uh, hotter than shit in the seventies. And yeah, it's just continuing to cool off since, but now that private industry is getting back into it, it's heating up again. Yeah, um, but the uh, Viking One uh, landed successfully on Mars, taking the first close-up photos <clears throat> of the Martian surface. A few months later, Viking Two would arrive, and um, it would sit in orbit of the planet, and then it would set down at Utopia Planitia on Mars. Mm. Occupy Mars, man. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Uh, and I had to throw this one in there. Uh, in September of 1976, the first lander craft as an experimental space shuttle was sent up. Um, I can't remember what they were going to call it originally, but Star Trek fans started a write-in campaign and got its name changed to the Enterprise. Nice. And they rolled it out in Palmdale, California, and had the crew, the, the main the main players from the original Star Trek TV so- series, which is all there was at this time, were yeah. on hand to watch it land, uh, launch and land. Wow, so that was kind of cool. That's cool. Uh, the um, Reds, the Reds sweep the Yankees to win the nineteen seventy six yes. World Series. Yes, that's the big red machine. They won it in seventy five and seventy six, and that's when they had Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, uh, Dave Concepcion. I watched those games, man. Uh, of course, Reggie Jackson played for New York at that time. But uh, yeah, that was a big around here. We're we're in, we are in the Cincinnati market, especially at that time. Uh, you know, we'd have a lot of cable access around here. But uh, they the Reds were you know on 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 our local play. But uh, of course, the World Series on national level, we did get those games on ABC or what have you, who has played them back in the day. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad you put that in there, man. Yep. Big Red Machine, yeah. Uh, November second, Jimmy Carter defeats Gerald Ford, becoming the first. Southern president since the Civil War. 
Yeah, I saw that. I, I had um, I remember that uh, him winning, of course, that Carter was our new president, you know. But when you put that becoming a first candidate from the Deep South, I knew that, but I didn't know it was since the Civil War. So that's that's very interesting. And how can a fucking war be civil anyway, Jeremy, really? Uh, you know? Yeah, but, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Yeah, what's yeah. so civil about war anyway? Exactly. Yeah, yeah not a damn thing. The last note I've got on this is Hotel California was released by the Eagles that year. Yes. Now, I tell you what I got. I put this on my notes. Uh, Yeah, Hotel California is a hell of an album, man. Um, So um, some songs I had earlier, uh, when you put Hotel California, we'll come back to I know you got music listed later on, I think, on the sheet here. But I wanted to throw this at you. To me, um, I've got like seven songs I'll run by you, but I'm going to run this one by you while we're talking about uh, Hotel California. Um, uh, Take it to the limit, okay? Okay. That song. Yeah. And they say, put me on a highway, okay? Me and my buddy, we bought the 45. Uh, Yeah, they still had 45s then. But we kept thinking, he was saying, Pussy on a highway, and that was the puss. That was the pussy on a highway song for a 12, 13 year old boy when that came out. Like uh, uh, the uh, uh, yeah, take it to the limit, and it was, it was pussy on a highway song, man. And that's what they were selling that radio. We had to hear it. We had to go down by the forty five down at Murphy's or somewhere, maybe Davis Music Shop. Uh, we you know we had record shops back then too. That was another cool thing, and we'd go to those shops and look through albums and forty fives, and uh, there was uh, one on. One on Winchester is the actual record shop, Winchester Avenue, but we went to Murphy's and there was a Woolco also uh, and another at the Midtown and uh, just in this small town. And those were the ones you can go in there and just flip through them albums that had that old school feel, man, you know, posters well, on a wall, yeah. you know, stuff like that. There's something to be said for cover art and liner notes on a, on an actual album, you know? Yeah. And opening it up and finding things they had written and uh, dedicated to acknowledgments and uh, something they may have. I think Cheech and Chong, I think they put a rolling paper. I didn't own it, but I've heard it. Yeah, 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 one of their um, albums. Um, Stuff like that, man, I... That, that, that's, that's pretty cool. And I'm not going to say that's when the good old days were the good old days because I'm sure in 76 people were saying, hey, do you remember when the good old days were the good old days and they referring to another time, you know? Mm-hmm. Just saying albums, though, man. Yeah, I missed vinyls coming back in a big way from what I understand. But, um, yeah, just that uh, having an album and opening it and just reading, like you said, liner notes and uh, all that. Very cool. Yeah. And well, and the artwork was just, you know, it was bigger. It looked cooler. It was worth checking out. Now, you know, these little 1400 square images you get with a song you download are just shit and don't matter and don't, don't yeah. do anything. Um, all right. Let's talk about some wrestlers who date. Yeah. Let's do this, man. Very interesting on debuts. We both popped last week. Uh, we we kind of once we got off the air, we kind of we kind of knew this was coming. Um, what we what we were going to do for 1976, but we really hadn't done anything, and so we both probably I, I think we both were on the same link, Rick Wikipedia, if I'm not mistaken. And soon we saw the wrestlers um, uh, that debuted that year. We we both just popped for it um, off the air. Well, so there's, there's I'm popping for it again. Now. So, uh, but start us out. You lead them, and we'll we'll just talk about them, man. All right. Well, the, the first one is going to be the excellence of execution, Bret Hart. Yeah, man. Wow. 
And I didn't know that. I think he came to Memphis, I want to say like 78 or 79. I could be wrong on that. But, um, man, he came and uh, he was. you could tell automatically he was very good. Yeah. I didn't know anything about the Hearts other than Jimmy Hart was there as a manager. So I had no knowledge of, you know, Bret Hart or any of the other hearts. And he came on and you could tell he's a pretty talented guy, uh, wrestling wise. It was a little bit different. He was he was actually a good wrestler. You could tell it, you know. Um, but yeah, um, very cool. So like I said, so I probably didn't see him to probably, you know, two or three years later after his debut. Well yeah, and I assume I assume he started up in Stampede and was probably there. Yeah, yeah, from everything I understood uh about that time frame. And I think he even might have had a Japanese tour under his belt by that time. Wow. When, by the time he came to Memphis, I could be wrong on that, but but you could tell he was, I won't say it was polished, but you could tell there's something different about him, man. The way he, um, just in the ring, you know, the way he worked. As a fan, you know, I could say, oh, this guy's good, you know, so. Yeah, well, you know, um, eating, eating cat shit with your eggs makes a man strong. <laughs> Make a man out you quick. <laughs> oh, the next fellow we got here yes. is a beautiful Bobby Eaton. Yeah, now I saw him probably from day one, and I think um, – he actually may have even broke in a little bit earlier than 18, if you looked at his birthday, as to the day he actually broke in. I think he had done some matches over in Alabama um, uh, before coming over to to Mid-South or um, the Memphis Territory. But I remember him from the time he came in. Um, and to me, he was one of the first high flyers because he could do the knee and the leg and um, just uh, – uh, but uh, he wasn't getting a you know like a really huge push or anything at that time. Of course, early on, uh, he was just getting he was getting wins though, you know. Yeah. But uh, short short time one at this seventy six seventy seven uh, short short matches, but getting over you know uh, tag matches, part of the uh, hard army things like that. He was getting exposure, I guess. What I'm getting at. But um, yeah, one of my favorite wrestlers uh, and favorite people in the wrestling business, man, Bobby Eaton. Um, man, there's a YouTube about twelve minute clip, and it says uh, uh, Bobby Eaton selling clink or something like that. Man, he's just doing it. It's really good. It's just high spots that someone put together. It's, it's pretty damn good. Well, you so, know, he's uh, a, you know if you if you want to see. Good high, like you're saying, high flying wrestling from that era before it was all you know overly done, flippy shit. Yeah, you cannot do a whole lot better than Bobby Eaton, you know. No, and you know I was talking about the EA Sports uh, up in Canon, Vancouver. He and I and a couple other guys got to be on that uh, the video game, and we're having dinner one night. And I just asked him, I said, you know, you're one of the best in the world at one time. I said, you're one of the first high flyers, and uh, you know we're sitting there just eating, and I said, how's that feeling, you know? And, Dude, he's just so damn modest. He goes, he's like, huh? What do you say, Bobby? You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's just, he just wanted to get off of it. You know, he didn't want to talk wrestling. You know, we like, okay, you know, and uh, he didn't really expand upon it. He said, you know, I just felt what felt good in the ring. You know, I felt, it just felt good, you know. Yeah. And that was about to extend a conversation. Um, we didn't go, he didn't go, he was like, yeah, I remember I could climb the top rope really good or I could do this. You know, he just, he just like, yeah, huh? huh? What do you say, Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, just that's Bobby, you know, so modest. Modest, and like you said, he said it just felt right in the ring, yeah. so he did it. <laughs> but uh, all right, this next one, man, I know is one of your favorites yep. and favorite families. Kevin Von Erich makes his debut. Yeah, um, man, 
well, you know, it's, we've talked so much about the Von Erics that I, I don't know what else to add at this point. But uh, right. as we go down this list, it was just like, holy shit, look at these names, man. Look at these guys. That yeah, talented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so to, do you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so you go not first. To, not to not to underplay him or anything. I just, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Von Erich family and Kevin yeah. Von Erich. Uh, so I don't really have anything to add except that, you know, it was another great name in 1976. It was introduced. To yeah. Pro I was just going to ask you if you remember seeing him for the first time, because I don't think I saw him until probably just in magazines, even maybe early 80s. You know, I'm yeah, well, just, that's... you know, in my mind, I'm trying to think maybe early 80s at the, at the earliest. Now, seeing him on TV would have even been a little bit later than that, I think. Well, for uh, me, it definitely, it definitely was 80s. in the 80s. And I may, yeah. maybe I had seen them in a wrestling magazine because wrestling magazines yeah. here were kind of hit and miss. Like, Payless might get them sometimes. Yeah, see, that's the way ours were, yeah. man. And we so... had a. Uh... WCCW would have been the first time. Um, and I just remember because I was, you know, I was a big fan of technical wrestling, but some of these guys who were just smash mouth fucking brutes impress the shit out of you when you see them. The Von Eric boys, yeah. they work stiff. Kevin could do that. He'd jump up and body scissor somebody, just incredible leg strength. Mm-hmm. A lot of athleticism. Um, and, you know, when you first saw WCCW and you, what you were used to, was WWF, it, it kind of mm-hmm. opened your eyes a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if you had seen them any sooner than I had. That's why I was asking. No, so, I don't, uh, I don't believe I would have. Funny about those magazines around here. That was the way it was too. They, they, we had, um, we had a couple of newsstands within a block of each other. Um, and, they would get them, but it would be like, you know, one month, one would have one and one wouldn't have the other. We had a couple drug stores, and then there was the gift shop at the hospital where I delivered newspapers at. And, you know, you might walk in there one day and they have three different magazines, you know, PWI, The Insider or something. Then next, you look for it again, and you couldn't find it. You might find a month, uh, three months later, you might find a magazine. You know, you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, don't think about that. My my uncle in Baltimore, we would uh, he would send us some down, uh, you know, a little packet like thing, and my brother and I exchanged with him what we might have had, you know. But yeah, wrestling magazine around here at that time were very sparingly too, uh, for for a long time. Uh, eventually, late eighties, early nineties, the one newsstand uh, really started at least putting them out pretty regular, you know, what we had. But that, again, it's, it's, I was, you know, well into my adult years at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one more from 76, uh, Barry Orton. I think he actually didn't, he has passed away this past year. We, yeah. uh, mentioned that just a few months back. Um, uh, brother to, uh, Bob Orton. Um, and let me give another shout out to time warp July 3rd, Jeremy, Tony Atlas and Bob Wharton Jr. are going to be at the Time Warp in Ashland. So I want to give give another plug to Earl there. Damn, him and Joe is going to appreciate this podcast. But um, yeah, I don't. I think I saw Barry Orton. You know, maybe just on WWF TV or you know back in the day. That that might you know. I know he was. I know he worked more than the, the, than just on the TV. Yeah. But um, I think I think by the time I saw him, he was just excuse me, just doing TV stuff for for W. God damn it, WWE or F, whatever. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, um, um, it just, that was a hell of a list. Yeah. I mean, it's only four guys, but it's four, you know, three fantastic, but, you know, Barry O was. 
big part of wrestling too, part of a big wrestling family. Yeah, no, I wasn't putting him down. I'm saying just by the time I knew who he was, he's Barry O, and then you find out it's Barry, you know, Bob Orton's brother. I just, you know, didn't recall a lot of his career, not to be sound disrespectful or anything. It's just, uh, yeah, he he done, he had a good 20 year run, I guess, for the territories and stuff before he was actually on TV, just, you know, doing a, doing a match here or there or whatever, yeah. picking up a paycheck probably. You well, know. and see, he didn't wear a cast, so nobody saw the family resemblance. <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was, man. Oh, man. Not your fault. Not, not anybody's no. fault, you know. No. Just, uh... Uh, well, this next thing here was all over my notes, and that was the um, – I'll let you read the news clip from April the 26th, and uh, that's kind of um, – uh, had that one and, and one other big deal. So uh, uh, this, I thought this was a pretty big deal. There's the, the two things, two of the bigger matches of that year um, or leading up to matches for that year. So uh, what happens uh, April 26th at Madison Square, at Madison Square Garden? Um, okay, during a televised show at uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, heavyweight champion Bruno San Martino sustains a legitimate broken neck after yes. his opponent Stan Hansen body slammed him to the mat, forcing him to miss two months of ring action. Uh, to explain the injury, um, what they did was a kayfabe story about Stan Hansen using a loaded elbow pad with the lariat. I'm surprised <laughs> fucking lariat didn't break somebody's neck. Right. But yeah. Uh, San Martino eventually would get revenge over Hanson first in the showdown at Shea. Uh huh. Oh, darn it. My, uh, my and a steel cage match at Madison Square Garden in August. Yep, that's it. Um, Interesting enough, Kevin Sullivan, uh, I told you I rented a ring around my birthday there several years back. Um, Kevin Sullivan came down. Um, he was in, over in this part of the country. And um, I had him over over to the ring, and this has been about seven years now. Um, but he was telling stories uh, 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 to some of the students, and some of my friends came over, and we just had a nice little deal out in the backyard. But Kevin was talking about how in 1976 he was working in New York uh, for Vince uh, Senior, I guess, or Capital Sports, where it was. Um, don't get the facts. I want to. I want to try to give them as factually as I can. But basically. He was on a house show, and um, he threw a clothesline, and um, I guess they called him in, or maybe on a ride home to the arena or wherever he was at. They basically said, you know, don't don't throw any more clotheslines. Uh, we've got something, you know, around this time. Apparently, you know, they were going to work that whole Laird angle. So everyone was told at that time, I guess, not to uh, to throw a clothesline, which made sense, you know, because it was going to be one of the bigger one of their bigger angles. Right. Now I'm not telling exactly how, like Kevin did, but basically, I guess word was no no clotheslines or. They weren't, I don't think anyone caught the lariat it didn't accept for stand, but, um, you know, don't use them because of, of this right here, because, you know, and I know, I know at one point and I'm, I'm sure they still do it. Uh, if anyone, you know, whatever someone's finish is on that, on a match, whether it be the DDT or a double arm suplex or, or German suplex, whatever your finish is, no one else can do that in your first second, your opening match. No one on the card is to do your move. If it's a finishing right. move, no one else does it. I'm not saying this is what started it, but I know Kevin telling us that story made a lot of sense that, you know, hey, don't, don't do the clothes on these hoes because we're really going to put over 
this this kayfabed you know storyline that he you know used the elbow the loaded elbow pad and it was his lariat not the body slam that broke Bruno's neck and um, that that's pretty cool I think not that he got his neck broken but pretty cool they say hey you know don't we got a good reason for y'all not to be doing this right. you know so I hope I explained that correctly I I so. think you probably did at the very least we we got the uh, the high points of it more or less mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other big news that year was this one here in June. Um, tell us about that one, because uh, this was, again, with Bruno breaks his neck. with uh, That was huge news, and then this next deal uh, in June starts. Uh, tell us what's going on here. All right. Uh, so, this is what I remember. Uh, a Muhammad Ali is a guest celebrity at a television taping for the WWF in the Philadelphia Arena. <clears throat> After he's introduced to the crowd, Ali enters the ring. Uh, during a match, I have to assume this is the lead-up to the match, but during a match... Yeah, I'm thinking so. Yeah, Gorilla Monsoon and Baron. I'm going to fuck this guy's name up, so sorry. <laughs> I uh, saw that, too. <laughs> yeah. M- Michael Shikluna? I'm... Shikluna? 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 Yeah. Shikluna, I guess, yeah. Uh, and challenges Monsoon to a fight. Monsoon responds by giving Ali the airplane spin. Back yes. When, back when that was a thing, people. Yes. Um, dropped him to the mat. Ollie is led away from the ring while Monsoon is interviewed by Vince McMahon Jr. That he says he respected uh, Ollie as a boxer. He said he's a shitty wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this was kind of used as a way to build up to the Anoki Ollie match. Or yeah. Uh, I, don't know. I guess we'll call it a match. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, what's funny about this is at WrestleMania, of course, Gorilla Monsoon and Ali were both there uh, as commentators at the same time, and mm-hmm. not one word was said. Gorilla Monsoon yeah. never said if this was kayfabe or legit. Right. Right. He's old school, and he doesn't do that shit. Right. And I've, there's footage, I guess, is still out there. He, he is so big. Uh, when he goes up to that ring, man, he's just, you know, he's gorilla, you know, when he picks Ollie up. And again, that's when that uh, airplane spin meant something. Uh, of course, the fight took place in um, uh, Japan at uh, um, Budokan uh, in Tokyo on June 26, 1976. Um, that's, uh, I just, you know, obviously I didn't see it that time, but I don't think anyone that was, um, like myself, sports-minded uh, at that age. Um, I remember people talking about it. Of course, being a wrestling fan and a boxing fan at that time, everyone seemed to know about it. Um, I don't know that I knew the results like the next day or two or three weeks after. You know what I'm saying? I don't recall that. I just know there was a buildup that a wrestler was going to fight a boxer. And, of course, I knew who Muhammad Ali is. I probably could not say a Noki, you know, but we knew it was against the Japanese opponent, you know. Um, Other than hearing it maybe repaid back on the radio or Wild World of Sports or what have you, you know. um, So, uh, yeah, big deal, man, back then. Big deal. So Ali, uh, I guess in the leg kicks, suffered uh, uh, some blood clots in his legs and stuff um, where he got down. Now, interesting fact, too, Carl Gotch was in Anoki's corner. Mm-hmm. Carl Gotch apparently had his wrestling trunks underneath his um, new, uh, was, I don't know if it was actually New Japan at that, yeah, New Japan at that time, the, the warm-ups, and uh, supposedly... He slipped up there uh, 
during the, the, the introductions and kind of uh, word had it. He pulled his pants up just a little bit and said, uh, just in case you know, there'll be no monkey business in this match. You know, so uh, I guess Gotch was going to be the man to take out Ali if uh, someone fucked around. That's that's the way I heard it. Um, so, uh, Well, you know who the referee was in that fight, right? Uh, shit. Um, Gene LaBelle. Yeah. I, I almost stumbled my words. I started thinking, you're going to get me on that one. Yeah, yeah, Gene LaBelle. So, again, no funky business right there, oh. man, because he's taking care of cleaning house, too. Yeah, that's that's those two guys right there, Gotch and LaBelle. That's that's one of those fuck around yeah. and find out kind of deals, you know? And and uh, it's, it's a couple years old now, um, maybe even three. Uh, LaBelle is on a Joe Rogan podcast, and he puts over Gotch big time on that podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, it's really, it's it's good to hear. I even, you know, for what it's worth, you know, I started, I was on Twitter, like, God, you know, it's nice. I just put a big thank you. Nice to hear someone mention Carl Gotch's name uh, and, and Gene LaBelle on, on the, you know, most on your latest episode or whatever. Not that it got any head steam, just saying. I ha- I couldn't be the one feeling that way when LaBelle is putting over people that, that are, some people don't even know who they are, but they're some of the most dangerous people in the world, you know? Yeah. And you're like, damn. You, of course, Rogan, Rogan knew, you well, know? Well, yeah, but I wonder, would you say that, I mean, and I, I know there's others, but would you say off the top of your head, if you just had to name two, would you say that Gotch and Gene LaBelle were two of the most legit grapplers on the, on the planet? I'd have to say yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Billy Robinson might be third. I don't yeah, know. Billy I'm sure someone else is out there, but but those two, when you mention them together like that, yeah, um, I think so. Um, <laughs> I ain't fighting you for it, but uh, they might. Oh, no. <laughs> they might, you know. <laughs> they, can, they can have that action all they want, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. Um, let's do some more pop culture real quick. I'm going to slide down, yeah. if you don't care, to um, the $6 million man, Steve Austin, man, mm-hmm. the TV show. Yeah. Um, that was the year that I think this was a two-parter, Jeremy, if I read my, if I read it correctly. Now, I was a huge fan of that show. Um, I didn't know who it was at the time, obviously. But in 74, 75, 76, you probably could not convince me there was not a Bigfoot out there walking amongst us. And so the uh, $6 million man done an episode, and there was a Bigfoot on there. And um, Sasquashing or whatever, <laughs> Sasquashing, uh, and it was none other than Andre Giant. Yeah. And if memory serves me correctly, I don't think he actually appeared uh, more so on a second episode when they had their showdown. Of course, that's why it's a two-parter to leave you at the cliffhanger. You know, again, this is just off memory. Hell, it might have been a sixty-second commercial, but but I think a week went by. But you know, they showed the footprints and they showed this and they showed that, and then finally, the six million dollar man is out in the I don't know somewhere in Washington. I'm sure maybe the fucking hills of Kentucky, as far as I knew then. Uh, but Bigfoot was out there. It was Andre the Giant. (laughs) Um, That's pretty cool, man. So you got to remember in the 70s, for people that may wonder why that would have been a thing, uh, 1967 was the year that the Patterson-Gimlin footage was taken and released. Uh, They they claimed to show an actual Bigfoot. and Mm -hmm. I, I cannot, I look at that, I see what I think is a real animal. Now, there's a million arguments that go either way, and I'm not going to get into it, but whatever. 
But in the 1970s, there were TV shows. There was a show called Bigfoot and Little Boy, I think was the name of it, that was part of the Sid and Marty Croft Hour. Uh, and Bigfoot was in freaking everything. We had a Bigfoot. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Bigfoot carpet store. Well, actually, we still do. Bigfoot carpet store here in town. Um, there were Bigfoot sightings an hour and a half away in the Sonora Hills here, you know. So he was literally everywhere. And Andre was the... I. I think later somebody else played him again, but Andre was the first Bigfoot actor on the Six Million Dollar Man. Man. Which was the number yeah. seven show in 1976. Yeah, you want to run down some shows where we're talking about that? I know you've done your homework, so let's look at uh, TV shows. Um, number one does not surprise me at all. No, not uh, for this time. This is absolutely a big deal. Happy Days yeah. have been number one on ABC. Yes. Listen to this fucking share, Bobby. 31 and a half. <laughs> Dude, when I saw that I popped, I was sitting in this chair right now, and I pulled up the notes, and I, I saw the way you put that into larger letters, and to get my attention, I said, 31.5, man. Nothing <laughs> draws numbers like that, you know? No, no. Um, next I is would, a, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I was going to say, I, I'm going to let you do them, but I'm surprised number four wasn't number two, actually, uh, um, when you read this list. You know, I don't think, know why. I yeah. think it's because I know why because it's back to back on ABC. I get that, but I really I thought this was uh, obviously this show I'm talking about does a twenty five point nine. Oh well, yeah, but uh, but but there's a couple ahead of it. Yeah. Well, number two so, is anyway. a spin off of Happy Days called Laverne right. Shirley. Yeah, with yes. thirty point nine share. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Um, oh, here's one that kind of shocked me. I remember these. Um, the yeah. number three show was the ABC Monday Night Movie. Yeah, made for TV movies. Yeah. Um, I believe um, Kolchak the Night Stalker might have started on there that way. Oh, is that right? I wow. Th- I'd have to double check what show it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did, Kolchak did such good numbers that when after they released it as a made for TV movie, they were like, I wish we had just released that as a movie. So many people watched it. Um, yeah. Okay, so number three was the ABC Monday Night Movie with a 26 share. Uh, Number four is MASH on CBS with a 25.9. Now, Bobby, I wonder, because MASH was getting getting a couple years on, and they had already switched over to their second cast, I believe, at this point. Yeah, and, you know, I think the um, helping it stayed on until 80... Eighty-four, maybe or eighty-three or eighty-four. Yeah, it was like eleven it seasons. Was, I was, uh, it, yeah, there was, yeah, it went on for quite a while. But yeah, they they changed the cast there a couple of times, new characters and stuff. But but yeah, I was just going on that. I could obviously it's obvious, Captain Obvious here as to why Laverne and Shirley second. Um, I I would not have put guest ABC Monday Night Movie up that high, but I just remember Mash being really popular among some older people. Um, I was over there on the Vernon Shirley still. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, Charlie's angels, number five at a 25.8 rating, proving that Americans uh, like boobs. Yeah. There you go. And of course, uh, another poster from that time, man, it was Farrah Fawcett in her, um, you know, red, red one piece, little beautiful hair with a little hard nipple. If you look close enough, you know, kind of thing. And that's every teenage boy's dream. And I bet everyone, um, 
William Harding shout out that he had a poster on his wall like I did of Farrah Fawcett Majors, you know. Well, yeah. I don't think she is Majors yet, but anyway. Um, number six, the big event on NBC. Any, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank on that one, Jeremy. Um, I think, you know what, I'm going to look it was up it real a, quick. I think it was one of those, like, uh, here, you know what, let me, let me do this. Let was me. it a game show or a sporting event between, I'm thinking Battle of Superstars or something. I'm trying to think, it was a, what, what was the big fucking event, man? You know, um, I believe. Okay, <laughs> let's see here. It was their. I was Sunday, it was their Sunday night movie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Sunday night movie pulling in a twenty four point four at number six. Here we go to number seven on ABC pulling in a twenty four point two. The six million dollar man. Uh huh. Um, wow! Look at this. <laughs> ABC comes out at number eight with the Sunday night movie. So you got two, a big event on AB or NBC and a Sunday night movie on ABC. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. But look at Made this. for so, TV. So you got to, you got to look at number eight there. Cause it was a three-way tie. Yeah. That's what uh, I was looking at. Yeah. Uh, Sunday night movie on uh, ABC, Beretta yes, sir. and one day at a time. Yeah, and that's very diverse. That's what I was looking at yeah. when you when you put that on there. Beretta, man, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, Robert yeah. Blake. That's just a, saying, just saying, man. <laughs> I, I love that I love that his cover story was, oh no, I was going to my car to get my gun before my wife was shot. <laughs> oh, oh man. Fuck. It's, uh, let me see here. Let me see if I got any more notes. Uh, I had one other note I wanted to. Yeah, okay, real quickly before we go to um, movies. Uh, on sports back there, I did put two other notes. Uh, Montreal Canadiens won the NHL. And, um, I, and I, of course, obviously, dude, I couldn't tell you. Uh, Anytime uh, when I when I lived in Baltimore, they had the skipjacks, and that was a younger, you know, not or the lower, I guess the like Eastern Conference or whatever. You know, what I'm saying yeah. before you make the NHL. So I I just knew what hockey was, but I never really had seen seen it. So '76, uh, I couldn't. It wasn't on our TV around here. Uh, but I do remember this um, NCAA that year, the Indiana Pacers won. I told you I can tell you just about you name a year, and I'll tell you who won the NCAA basketball. Um, and that was uh, Coach Bobby Knight coached them, and uh, Scott May was the leading scorer. And that's when Indiana wore the long uh, red and white striped warm-up pants, and they were so cool. Uh, just wanted to throw that out to you <laughs> real quick. That was just a memory I had because so we are – and um, the Celtics won the NBA um, championship that year. Um, and I know you've done football. I just want to kind of – and yeah. baseball. I just want to put them out there uh, just because um, – I watched pretty much all those events that year, except for the hockey, of course. Um, so, anyway, just being a young kid that loves sports, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Well, and the you know, basketball is right up your alley. You know, uh, yeah. over, over here in California, we usually just call hockey uh, until we got our own team. It was just uh, what we called um, – Canadian soccer, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go, low, man. Low scoring, people knocking the shit out of each other. But it yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know what? Let's do music before we do movies because I know you. Okay. Had, I know you wanted to talk about a couple things there. Yeah, I must get down to you. So music, um, songs of nineteen seventy six. Uh, the one I was, I threw that one out at the at the appropriate time from the Eagles. Um, I had, like I said, I had several mentioned. The 
these are not in a certain order. They weren't like number one, number two, or this, that. I was thought of you big time on this one here. I, I was just writing Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen. Oh, Dude, yeah. when that song came out, and I thought it was late 75 maybe. I double-checked it. It was apparently a 76. But, man, when that song came out, I had this little record player gimmick, you know, and uh, had AMFM done 45s and 33s and 78s if you had the appropriate little donut for your whatever that gimmick called for your 45s, you, you know. But, man, AM, I think it was W, or FM, rather, W, um, AMX, that's why I was getting that WMX here, uh, WKEE up in Huntington, that was a real powerful station, they was more, uh, but they had a couple rock stations, of course it wasn't classic rock then, you know, it was just fucking rock, <laughs> this is the original Jack, you know, but um, yeah, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody man, and I know you're a Queen fan, yeah, um, big Queen fan. so um, I, I said I bet Jeremy would pop for that one, um, so I had these songs, and I put I put GDU Disco, <laughs> but uh, Disco, whatever. So I had uh, played that funky music, White Boy, but Ohio Players. Uh, the theme from SWAT. I was like, damn, how's that song? I'm, I didn't watch that show very much, but uh, Shake Your Booty by Casey and the Sunshine Band. I really like Casey and the Sunshine Band, man. They, they were all right in my book. Um, Take It to the Limit, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, our love is a little live, Gary Wright. Uh, I think you had this somewhere. Fifty ways to leave your lover. Um, I had. Uh, I was going to open up instead of saying "fuck you, Hutch." I was going to open up. I'm just a love machine. I'm not you know, loving and a kissing. That was out. Uh, a song. Let's just kiss and say goodbye. That song. I had a dream one time, and that song was it. I must have been playing my record player or something when I fell asleep. I had this really bizarre fucking dream about kissing and saying goodbye, and I don't even know if I kissed it. Well, I may have played Spin the Bottle and kissed a girl at that time, but it's something crazy. But uh, so, one of my other favorite songs from that year, Starland Vocal Band, Starland Vocal Band, Afternoon Delight, man. That song caught me. And um, the reason was, again, I listened to this, dig this, man. In, 19, in, in, in 1976, um, here in, in, in my hometown, if you were on the safety patrol, the big deal was when you got to be at the end of fifth grade, um, the sixth graders start training you to be the safety patrol to help the little kids cross the street. And you looked up to these little belts you had across your, like a crossing guard gimmick, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you did that the whole year and you sold a bunch of candy bars at the end of the year to help raise money, uh, which I did and my brothers did, you got to go to Washington, D.C. And I got to go to Washington, D.C. in 1976, the bicentennial year. You leave on an early Wednesday, I think it is, the schedule, but you, you get to spend... Uh, Wednesday evening up in D.C., all day Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So you got like three days, four nights, or four nights, three days, however it works. But anyway, man, it was really cool to be in D.C., but apparently that song, Afternoon Delight, was written while these, this, uh, the people, the couple were talking at a diner um, uh, in D.C., and that was on like... Uh, um, uh, shit, uh, what's the top 40? Casey Kasem. He's telling a story, right? And that's the only reason I knew that. And I thought, fuck, I've been to a diner 
in D.C. I could have been at that same diner where they wrote that song at. You know, I'm just a little, you know, 12, going on 13-year-old kid, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it's one of those things, like, I made that connection when Casey Kasem was talking about, you know, how that song, where that song's written. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Um, and it, it, It's just one of those little, I don't know, goofy little fucking songs. But anyway, that's, that's just well, music there. And you, my favorite, oh, go ahead. Was, did, no. you, did you ever watch Arrested Development? I have seen it, yes. Okay. Uh, it's been a while, and I only watched probably several episodes in several different seasons, but I know exactly what you're talking about. So there was there was an episode where uh, Michael uh, and his niece, maybe, were at, a, I don't know, they were at a fair or a party or something. They decided to sing a song together, and they sing Afternoon <laughs> Delight. They get to about the third or fourth verse and realize the song's about fucking, and they're just like, <laughs> we, should, uh, we should just stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I named one of my little chapters in my little uh, XXX book out there on on uh, uh, Amazon. Uh, Megan, hot wife on the DL. I named one of the little chapters uh, uh, "Afternoon Delight." Uh, husband and wife having a little afternoon delight, you know. Uh, and speaking of which, you can get that at Amazon. You can get uh, "Yard Time," another little ebook at Amazon, and you can get. Um, uh, Seasons F and Greetings, my best Christmas ever. Those are all little two ninety nine uh, little ebooks you can get, and uh, open one of them up one day and enjoy reading it. But if you go to tinyrail.com slash blaze book one, you can get pin me pay me have booth will travel. And we'll travel back in time to D.C. and we'll write a love song together, Jeremy. <laughs> or we can go to uh, tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 and you can get I Kicked Out on 2 The Educational Wrestler. Now listen folks, um, summertime good time to get you a book uh, put your toes in the sand, drink in your hand and do a little reading man and in the meantime uh, I get to sell a book Hopefully, uh, Jerry's uh, Jer- Jeremy's fucking affiliate account uh, gets a dime or two put into it, and that all adds up, and we appreciate it. So kick us back some on our show, man, uh, for bringing you this uh, great lineup of 1976 entertainment, which is going to take us to movies, Professor. That's right. Let me scroll down my page again. Yep. Movies. Um this is actually kind of because I, I I remember all of these movies pretty much, and I, there's actually one or two of my absolute favorites of all time are in here. Uh, number one, and this was like a breakout star making yes. role, uh, yes. Rocky, and of course, Man. I'm sure everybody knows, but just in case. Um, uh, Sylvester Stallone had to sell his dog. He was living in his car while he was working on that script. And he went yeah. from homeless and dogless to the number one movie in America. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Some say it was based off Chuck Wapner, I think, or whatever his name was, the boxer. I think he tried to sue him for something, but it, it wasn't proven. But, yes, yeah, Stallone, and he, I think he made it clear, too, uh, when you watch these documentaries, uh, that um, no, no one else is going to do this role because they got on. They was asking about his speech, the way he talks, and he goes, "No, this role is my role. You know, this this is the character. You know, it's me." I wrote so, him punch uh, drunk, so hey, I yo. play him. That's right. That's right, man. Now, my favorite movie of all time came out in 1976, and it's not on this list. 
but I'll get to that when we do the list. But man, I had that Rocky man. That's one of the all-time greatest fucking movies of all time. Yeah, it really. And uh, is. we'll go ahead and keep on going through some of these. Um, okay, so, so the next one is A Star Is Born. I think this movie gets remade every thirty years or so. Yeah, I think so, man. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, I don't. So, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say. I mean, obviously, the Lady Gaga version just came out a few years yeah. ago. I can't. Right. Right. That thing got so pounded into my head. I don't remember who was in the 76 version at this point. Uh, Barbara Streisand, I think. Okay, that's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I always think when that comes up, I always think about the movie Rose, which was the off-brand version of Janis Joplin. That, yes. That is the movie yeah. I think of when you mention The Star is Born and I don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think Rose, did that not come out like 79 maybe? Or am I thinking of uh I think it was Pearl. A I'm Pearl, Rose come out later, maybe. What am uh, I thinking? Pearl? Yeah, I was thinking a little later. Pearl could have been yeah. earlier, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let's check in that, there, because there's a good movie with James Joplin, that one there. That's, that, it must have been later than that then. All right, so number three, man, King Kong. All Jessica right. Lange was in that one. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I didn't have to look that up, Jeremy. Boy, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder that monkey went fucking batshit. Uh, Jessica yeah. Lange was when he so blew funny. her dry, man. Woo! 13-year-old hormones, baby. <laughs> I actually had I actually had the 1976 King Kong lunchbox with the thermos and everything. I Hot that damn, that's in. good. Yeah. That's cool. That's good, man. You know what my first lunchbox was? What's that? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Really? I shit you not. I went to, uh, I was in Baltimore and I went to Chesapeake Terrace Elementary School and I had a fucking Chitty Chitty Bang Bang lunchbox and I had the thermos. And those fucking thermoses inevitably break and you get all that shattered fucking glasses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you leave your milk in it over the weekend. God damn. You're not recovering <laughs> it from that, yeah. No, no. So you had a King Kong lunchbox. How cool, yeah, man. That was, Very that cool. Was pretty badass. Very cool. Yeah, I, I was probably five, so it was a couple years after it came out. It was I was in kindergarten and I had this big red lunchbox with a giant monkey and Jessica Lang on it. <laughs> oh man. Yep. I heard that. So Silver Street comes in at number four. Um All the President's Men. Uh Robert Redford, who I'm mistaken, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Redford. And, yeah, uh, Dustin Hoffman, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yes, and the Silver Streak, of course, was uh, Gene Wilder and fucking um, um, what's his name? Uh, shit, you know, Richard, Richard. Um, nah, I'm, I'm locked up. I'm but, actually gonna have to look. Ah, uh, hell, Richard Pryor. Yeah, is Richard? No, Richard Pryor written in Silver Streak. My yes. bad. That's no, the one we're in. He is. Is he? Yeah. I was thinking um, Star Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Gene Wilder. Joe Clayberg, Richard Pryor, Patrick okay. Ewan, Ned Beatty, Clifton James. Ned, Ned Beatty. Steel. He just passed away, yeah, man. he did. Just a couple weeks ago. Anyway. S score by Henry Mancini. I believe Henry Mancini did the Friday the 13th score, too. He done a lot of them, man. Yeah. Um, here's oh, you one, this the is, Omen. Yep. That's when the Omen my, come out. One of my absolute favorites. I figured that's the one on that list. When I looked at it, I said his favorite. I yeah. said horror films. That's Jeremy. That's the Omen. Richard so. Donner was at the top of his direction game when this, when he did this. Um, now, you know, I don't really care for quote unquote supernatural horror, but this was so tense. 
Mm. So just like, mm. what the shit is happening in this movie? <laughs> and then at the end, when it all comes together and you realize that kid is like some is now in line with the government and oh, just like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, that was just great and so tense. And hell, the music would make you shit your pants, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, number seven, the Bad News Bears. I really like that. Um, yes, I really dug a young Tatum O'Neill. Um, of course, Walter Malthow, the the coach. Uh, of course, they did a remake remake with Billy Bob Thornton. About time they probably do another one. I imagine nothing, but yeah, uh, nothing new's getting made. So yeah, Bad News Bears was a pretty cool movie. You know, um, I enjoyed that. Um, and then uh, the Enforcer Man, Clint Eastwood. Can't go wrong with a good Clint Eastwood movie. He went from spaghetti western cowboy to becoming, you know, big city detective. And, um, hey, you know, do you feel lunky punk? Well, do you? You know, <laughs> I'm not the best Clint Eastwood voice. I'm just saying, but he, that you just know you don't fuck with Clint Eastwood. You know, Dirty Harry, you just don't fuck with them. <laughs> um, you know what? You know. Am, I, am I wrong? Didn't the outlaw Josie Wells come out in 76? Or am I thinking wrong? You know what? It may have, and it, I tell you, it's funny that you mention it because it's been all over my um, my TV screen. Either you, not YouTube. Um, yeah, YouTube's got it for rent. Amazon, I think, and also it's on Netflix right now. Um, I, I, it may have come out seventy six. Seventy six, yeah. Okay, hell, good call, good recall. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I've been I've been uh, I've been watching and reading a lot of little Western shits here lately, just like short stories and things. Yeah. And, um, I was looking at some factual things like, you know, I still get hung up like high plains drifter and pale rider are damn near the same movie, except there's yeah. a little, little bit of Shane in pale rider, you know? Yeah. Um, but I was looking at some like gunplay stuff, and I guess like one of the first times they showed what's called the road agent role, which is where you hand your pistols to somebody backwards, so mm-hmm. you can take them from you, and then you spin them and shoot both guns at the same time. I think the first time that was shown was in the Outlaw Josie Wells. And what's that called? That's yeah, called the road agent role. Road agent role. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool deal, man. I know that was a long way to go for me to talk about gun shit. No, you know, no, you know. no. I know you're into that. Uh, in Search of Noah's Ark was number nine. Ooh, I don't recall that. I don't like that shit. Not not um, religious stuff. I just don't like it when, they, when they're taking stuff like you obviously can't find it. And yeah. you're going to go make a movie about it. You know? Yeah, I don't even recall it. Hell, you know. Yeah. Uh, Midway was number ten. Now... Um, any comments on any of those? Because I'm going to give you my favorite movie of all time. Oh, please Came do. out in 1976. So I just did an interview um, with the guy. Uh, I'm not plugging it right this second because I have to get more to details, but it's going to be up on YouTube soon. Uh, a gentleman from Australia did an interview with me, and um, you asked me my top ten movies, and it's automatically I've got a top five songs and this and that. Um, Movie-wise, man, um I get farther and farther removed from this because a lot of people that know me are going to say Bobby probably is Pulp Fiction, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, so yeah, that's my number two. And the reason is because my number one, man, is uh, a Martin Scorsese film from 1976, Travis Bickle, uh, Taxi Driver. That's my all-time oh, favorite yeah. movie. I love that character. Uh, again, um, just... Uh, uh, 
he's driving around. He'll drive anywhere, you know, Harlem, wherever they need to go. He'll pick them up. Uh, he's just a disoriented Vietnam veteran, you know, that, uh, uh, tries to save this young prostitute, uh, Jody Foster. Uh, she's like 12 years old, run away from Pittsburgh in New York city. And, and Harvey Cottell is in it as the pimp, you know, and, uh, uh, just, um, to me, it, it, it just, it's just, uh, it's really dark, but it's also, it's got a lot of meaning to it. And, and now here's the thing. I, I will tell you this. I don't think I could have, I could have, cause my best friend and I, we went to a lot of movies. Uh, it was our weekly thing, man. It was a big deal to us. And his mom would take us to some or to get us into some that were not uh, PG-13. And the ratings were different then. But the R yeah. was an R, you know. Yeah. The R was a 17. Yeah, but they, so, used to, they used to show titties in PG movies back then. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I don't rec- know if I saw it like during his first run. But um, I saw it in probably... 77 or 78 i was young you know what i'm saying yeah and um i just was like um and thought about that character um just for i i didn't even know who i'll tell you this i didn't know it was robert nero uh other than i knew that name until 1980 when he did um uh the jake lamotta um shit uh that boxing movie i'm drawing a blank on it that's when I knew exactly who Robert De Niro was. You know what I'm saying? But but in Taxi Driver, I didn't know him at that particular time. I just knew it was an actor portraying a taxi cab driver, you know. Right. And I really dug it. I was drawn to that movie for whatever reason. Uh, Travis Bickle, you know. So, um, anyway, there's that. Uh, shit, do we have anything more wrestling lined up here, man? Um, you know what, it was, so that's actually, my movie. It was kind of a thin... It, I mean, not that it was nothing going on, but it was kind of a thin wrestling year. For the stuff we normally talk about. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, like um, I know you here, have some other notes up here. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, like, over here, I went and pulled up some, like, um, who were, you know, who was the U.S. champion in San Francisco in 76? Maybe there was, a, like, a cool turnover. No, Mr. Fuji was going through a two-year championship as U.S. champion here at the time. So there was no... No fast turnovers. There were three or four tag team champions, but Pat Patterson was on half the teams, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, I know you did the PWI Wrestler of the Year. He was also the NWA Champion Tower Year, you said, and that was my main man, Terry Funk. Yep. So uh, read, read out some more of those things, I guess, because that Rookie of the Year is interesting. Oh, yeah, that's true. So Rookie of the Year was Bob Backlund in 76. That's um, I mean, that's yeah. kind of a cool one. Um, Bobby Heenan, of course, was Manager of the Year. Of course. And the inspirational wrestler of that year was Bruno San Martino. I'm assuming that yeah. was due to the broken neck. Yes, <clears throat> we had that come up, if you recall, in... Um, we were in 1978, and they had inspiration of the year, and I'm. Uh, it was uh, uh, Blackjack Mulligan, but we never knew why. Yeah. Obviously, on this inspiration of the year, it had to be Bruno coming back from that broken neck, a legit broken neck, and then also working it to an angle to draw money on two more huge shows that we discussed. Um, let's see. AWA champion. Um It could have went probably either person if someone were just asked me, but uh, due to that time, 
period and being a wrestling fan at that time, I would have said Nick Bockwinkle and got it right, correct? Yeah, and see, I actually, <laughs> when I when I went to look it up, I was sure it was the other guy. <laughs> I was, uh, see, I, I, I wasn't because of the year. I just was like, it seems like around for about three years there from 76 to 79, I was getting a whole lot more Nick Bockwinkle instead of Vern as far as magazines and stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So uh, that, that's why I would have guessed that. That didn't mean I knew it. Just saying I guessed it. Um, and, of course, WWF champion Bruno, of course. Uh, and I assume he kept that the entire year as well. Yeah, that's so, as far as I can see. Cause he yeah, all major titles Yeah. Uh, oh, you know held I'm, on. I went and looked this up just for the fun of it because um, I brought it up. So in 1976, the San Francisco Territory, right? The year opens. Uh-huh. Pat Patterson and Pedro Morales are the tag team champions. They drop it to Don Morocco and Invader number one. And then Pat Patterson and Tony Gurria take it from them. And then the Royal Kangaroos win it. And then Jimmy and Johnny Valiant <laughs> pick it up, and they end the year as the tag team champions here. But in 1977, in February, they lose it to Pat Patterson and Pepper Gomez. <laughs> so Pat Patterson was like on every damn team you said. Yeah, he was just like, Seemed you know, like. I'm a tag team specialist. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll wrestle with you and get my belts back. You know, I don't. He should have just been the tag team champions and taken whoever he wanted. I guess. You know, just like, yeah, yeah, you come up with me. We make it the tag team champions. <laughs> I guess it was more oh, Italian man. than French. Huh? <laughs> so I'm looking over my notes. I don't. Think that I think you mentioned. Excuse me. Uh, you had listed a few songs that I didn't list. I went off kind of my list, not yours. I don't. Um, of course, a couple of them were you know same same. But um, yeah, I don't have any more notes that I I see going over here, man. Oh, uh, another movie that I really liked, and I actually thought this came out later, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out in '76. It's Car Wash. I, I, dude, that had George Carlin and Richard Pryor and uh, the fucking Pointer Sisters and so many big stars making cameos in that. And I just um, I, I've got a copy. Of- that movie um imagine i mean i'm like yourself you know, i'm sure you got all kinds of dvds and and old vhs and and uh blu-ray and whatever not but but car wash um i would have thought that came out like 79 ish I, I don't know why but um maybe because it was doing a loop on um hbo you know what i'm saying one of those movies that um they picked up and played you know as the regulars as i got a little bit older but anyway that that movie and song came out i guess in 76 and i i, I just kind of almost Anyway, um, I had Taxi Driver Rocky and Car Wash came out that year, and you had the whole shit kiggles and caboodle of them all. Well, I just, I I pull up two things here that I got to throw in here, okay? Please do. 1976, Alice Cooper Goes to Hell. Dude, I was going to tell you that. That was going to be my surprise. Ah, That's what's going to be my surprise for you. Oh, damn it. (laughs) I got that going into the seventh grade. I think I got it. I don't know. Okay, month release, I'm going to say October-ish. Could have been a little bit sooner than that, but I got it when I was in seventh grade, part of the third, about 76, the latter part, because I had it, and I was going to ask you about it. I was going to ask you because I, be, uh, because I know that album had a green, creepy face of Alice Cooper yeah. on it, man, and um, you can go to hell. Man, I like that album a lot. It was a great album. Um, yeah. Even we Meet is a great song that's on there. Yes, man. What a fucking song. Yeah. Didn't, um, yeah, man. 
Wake me. I was, wake that me. was been my surprise question at the oh, end for oh, you, see, I'm sorry. Alice Cooper. No, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I tell you here, and here's the thing. Um, I double checked it to make sure because I knew it was before from the inside, but also they've been running commercials. Uh, Alice Cooper's coming to Kentucky in October. Maybe that's why I said a release date in October, but he's going to be here, but it's like an hour and a half away at Pikeville at the Expo Center. And the last time he was here, the only reason they didn't go, he was in Charleston, which is even closer. But the ticket was like fucking $76 or something. And I was like, by the time if I paid for like me and my brother or me and one of my friends, you're like, that's a $200, $250 night, you know? Yeah. So um, anyway, he's coming in October. I don't recall the date, but, it, but, it's, but he's at the Expo Center in Pikeville, Kentucky. Wrestled there. So um, anyway, Browse Cooper. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's a good album, man. That, did you, I didn't know this. This is, a, um, this is actually a sequel album to Welcome to My Nightmare. It's also about Steven. I did not know that about this album. I didn't know a sequel to that. Welcome yeah. to my nightmare. No, uh, no. It's it's the second half of Stephen's story. I didn't I did not know that. Okay. Wow. I did not know that either. And then just because we've been talking about it like once a week, in nineteen seventy six, Meatloaf provided the lead vocals on Ted Nugent's album Free For All when regular <laughs> vocalist Derek St. Holmes temporarily quit the band. Meatloaf sang five of the nine album tracks. No shit. Yep. Did not know that. Cat Scratch Fever, that, that year it came out? Uh, is that's on, that is on that album, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm, well, Check I'd that have... out. So, yeah, I don't know. So Meatloaf, we've just turned this into a pop culture, rock, roll, TV, commercials, uh, movies, and pro wrestling. And Bobby revisits his fucking uh, years, <laughs> the years that he turned 13, the bicentennial of the United States of America in 1976. We had a pretty damn fun time about it, man. Uh, uh we mentioned some wrestling in this, but I'll say this. I think it was very enjoyable, and I'm not winding it down. I, if we are, that's fine, but I know this much. Uh, the Fawns had not jumped the shark yet. Not yet. But it, <laughs> not yet. It was coming. It's coming. Yeah. It was coming. So anytime you get that spinoff, you're like, eh, okay. <laughs> well, Mork and Mindy was a spinoff of the yeah. Days. Um, that's right. There was like a whole shit right. ton of them. You don't realize that they were Happy Days spinoffs. But uh <laughs> Uh, and of course, you know, uh, Happy Days itself was a spinoff of Love American Style, and it was a big deal because George Lucas's American Graffiti had just come out. Oh, uh, no. Amer uh, American Graffiti, was that 74? I think that was or 73. 74. I think it was 74. Okay. I know it played at our local cinemas. That's one of the first movies. Um, I want to say it's by 74. They played it forever. It just kept staying over. It. They only had two. We had like a, when I was younger, we had two down. We were down two, two downtown movies, the Capitol and the Paramount, and then the um, the the cinema, which was came. It had two at the time, uh, only two theaters. They eventually had four screens. I think they went two at the time. And American Graffiti stayed on there forever, forever. Oh, yeah. Well, so, obviously, it was a big deal here because it was about growing up here. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But, did you, you know, Modesto would not let him film it here. So you'll notice they never actually mentioned the city of Modesto in there. They do say Turlock, okay. which is a small town south of here. Uh, okay. But, uh, but even to the point where they dedicated a statue to him and he sent a videotape to accept it. 
<laughs> he is not into it, huh? Yeah. Well, you so know, was that seventy four? Uh, you know, I will or seventy six. I will find. I mean, not seventy four, seventy three or seventy four, but it, but I'm thinking seventy four. But yeah, we're in nineteen seventy six. Hey, if you're a wrestling fan, you're a wrestling fan. If you're a pop culture fan, you're a pop culture fan. If you're a Bobby Blaze or Jeremy Vilmer fan, you're a fucking bell to bell with Bobby Blaze podcast fan, and we appreciate that. Nineteen seventy three. I. I, I thinking it came because it ran so long in 74 here jim that's the only reason i think a 73 could have been yeah. so thanks for bringing that up and that's why you're a professor um so we've had some guests in the past uh this is our happy fourth of july eat a fucking hot dog drink a cold beer um uh enjoy yourself man tell after the year we had last year uh hey we're in 2021 now man um Keep protecting yourself, but hell, enjoy yourself if you go out. I'm going to probably just do some drilling here at my house on my own. But, um, hey, I hope everyone has a nice 4th of July. What I was going to say is um, the uh, uh, had a couple guests in the past, and we're going to have future guests the next couple weeks. So uh, uh, if Jeremy wants to give that away as to who's coming on, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's fine. But we do have some interesting guests the next couple weeks we're going to be recording with. Uh, one of them has a popular YouTube channel. I'll say that. And one of them has a popular OnlyFans page. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> OnlyFans page let's, let's is hope, your clue on that. <laughs> let's, let's, let's hope that that translates to a podcast, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Oh, uh, let's see here. Yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We're about yes. an hour and 20-something right now, which is plenty uh, as far as yeah. length and girth goes. Um, <laughs> all right, Bobby, anything you want to wrap up on, or are we just going to call it quits? You know what, man? I've already said happy 4th of July. Jeremy, thanks for the fucking notes this week. And um, everyone, just take care of yourself, and thanks for tuning in, man. Um Appreciate it big time. Big time. Thank you. Yep. All right, everybody. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B Bobby Blaze. Remember, everybody, don't blow your hands off with any fireworks. <laughs> Drink responsibly. <clears throat> and if you do get syphilis, it's only syphilis. So have fun. Everybody enjoy 2021. We'll catch you soon.